Hi, I'm Phil Yields, and thanks for tuning into this episode of the Youth in Education podcast, where we explore developments in education, research, and policy that affect young people. This podcast is brought to you by the Centre for Education and Youth. Hello, and welcome to another CFEY Research Roundup. I'm Phil Yields, and I'll be taking over from Sam as your new Research Roundup host. Don't worry, Sam is fine. Do not ask questions about Sam. Who even is Sam, anyway? Today, we'll be hearing from Abby Angus, a researcher at CFEY, who has worked closely with young people in care, who's been active in the Gypsy Roma and Traveller movement. She's not long finished a Master's in Education Policy and Society, and she's with us today to talk a bit about her dissertation and the associated literature on sex and relationships education. The Centre for Education and Youth believes society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at cfey.org. Abby, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Can you uh, tell us a bit about what you're going to be sharing with us today? Yeah, so I've picked out two pieces of research that I used in my literature review of my dissertation, and then I'll be talking a bit about the research that I carried out, so some methodological stuff and also just some of the findings. Let's dive straight in. So your first paper is, what do young people want from sex education? The results of a needs assessment from a peer-led sex education programme. Can you tell us what the main thrust of this piece is? Yeah, so it's a fairly old bit of research. It's from 2004. But I thought that the way that they chose to carry out this research was quite interesting. So a team of researchers spoke to over 4,000 Year 9 students across 13 schools in the south of England and asked them basically what topics do you want to learn more about within your sex and relationships education. They split the data by gender, which adds some interesting findings that I think we'll touch on in a bit. And they also then gathered up anonymous questions that young people had asked related to sex and relationships and categorised them by the same themes that the young people had been asked to look at in the questionnaire. So it's got kind of two sources of data, but I think it's quite useful that they use the same themes for both. Great. And you know, what, what were the sort of standout findings from that? So they ranked them by how popular, basically, the topics were. Diseases caught from having sex was the most popular thing that students felt they wanted to learn more about, followed by where they can get medical advice, information on pregnancy and contraception. They also touched on sexual feelings, emotions and relationships, and how not to have sex when you don't want to. So they looked at the more kind of traditional topics of physical health around sex and relationships, but also a bit more about the emotional side of things. There's some really interesting results around um, what boys and girls valued and how they valued things differently to each other. The sort of two biggest disparities between the two groups, I noticed that pregnancy, 64.1% of girls versus 48% of boys wanted more information. How not to have sex when you don't want to, 58.7% girls versus 44.5% boys. And I thought those are quite startling, really. Yeah, it's really interesting, I think. So a lot of the literature I read kind of in preparation for this bit of work was looking at the kind of messages that we pass on to young people about sex and relationships and how sometimes these can be quite gendered. Pregnancy is seen as something that women should be thinking about because it involves typically their bodies and so generally it perhaps not something that's seen as important for teenage boys. Hmm. Yeah, so do you think that kind of attitude might be why we still have in many schools sex education segregated by biological sex. I think so, and I think there's something there about perhaps embarrassment too and trying to kind of protect young people from the embarrassment of having a different gender, understand Mm. more about their bodies. 
but I think that it can only be a good thing if we all understand each other's experiences. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And again, in a similar vein, right at the bottom of what they wanted to find out more about was lesbian and gay relationships. Again, girls considerably higher than boys, but for both of them significantly lower than the rest of the topics. So I think there's a sort of attitude that this is kind of revealing, that if it doesn't affect me, then I don't need to know about it. So that's why we have fewer boys wanting to know about pregnancy and fewer pupils in general wanting to know about LGBT relationships. Yeah, I think so. So it was just over 20% of boys and just under 30% of girls wanted to know more information Mm. about non-straight relationships and I think at kind of surface that may seem to make sense because that's roughly the proportion of people in society who are queer but yes like you said I think it's important for all young people to understand about the different experiences of their peers and this data doesn't suggest that young people are valuing that necessarily. Mm. It's really interesting that this is from 15 or so years ago do you think that figure would change if it was repeated now? Interesting. I would hope so. We know that bullying of LGBTQ young people is really high in school still. Um, The Stonewall School Report comes out annually, I think, and the figures are pretty worrying. Mm. But then also recent data suggests that young people around 18 to 25 at the moment, there are a larger proportion of young people who would identify as queer than in previous generations. Mm. So I would optimistically hope that that would change. Do you think there's more recognition from the government than there used to be, the, the value of educating pupils around all kinds of relationships, not necessarily the ones that they find themselves in right now, given the recent changes in SRE legislation? I think to an extent. So the new guidance that has been published that kicks in this September, it says that schools must teach young people about LGBTQ relationships mm-hmm. and families. But I think where perhaps that could have been and more in kind of woven into the framework it only really is one paragraph Mm. and while it does say this should be kind of a part of a curriculum and not standalone lessons there's also a separate section about consulting with local communities Mm. and I think that schools perhaps have been put in quite a tricky position by this guidance because it doesn't necessarily back them to fully include kind of relevant sex ed for all students but it does suggest that they should. Mm. So I think it's it's not as supportive as it could be. Yeah, it sounds like a bit of a cop-out, to be pretty frank. It's telling schools that they should be doing this, but it's shunting all of the backlash from people who may object to this change onto schools rather yeah. than onto policymakers, yeah, rather exactly. than fully committing to supporting the LGBTQIA plus community. And also but, placing it as a kind of, this might be a problem for some people, mm. where perhaps what could be more useful for schools is tools to talk about just exactly what it does involve and that like children in primary school it's perhaps more about just looking at the fact that not everyone is in a straight relationship Mm. and so that doesn't need to be scary I think schools could probably do with more support to have those conversations with parents Mm. rather than just positioning it as a you should do this thing you should also talk to parents Mm. The other thing that I think is problematic about the way that the DfE have introduced inclusion of LGBTQ identities in SRE is that they've also said that schools must make sure that it's age-appropriate. I think when you use age-appropriate in the same context as the existence of queer people, then it suggests that perhaps gay people aren't appropriate, which plays into a lot of old stereotypes. Mm, Absolutely. So what do you think, returning to the rest of the findings of this study as well, do you think there's an implication for teacher training around this? I think this piece of research particularly, 
I think it could be more practical than teacher training. I think it could be quite useful for teachers looking at what topics they should be teaching within an SRE curriculum. So I, I think perhaps it would need a more up-to-date version, but I think the way that they have done this piece of research could be replicated in schools for them to do a needs assessment of what their students need and want. I think there'd need to be some considerations there around just because a tiny group of people think something is relevant doesn't mean that it should be kind of passed over for something more popular but I think it could be a really good way for schools to assess what information their students need. Mm. Yeah you talk about like the relevance of issues but you know as we've discussed it's important that people understand all kinds of relationships not necessarily the ones that they are in. Definitely yeah also we don't know what relationships people will be in in the future. Well exactly yeah absolutely and this is kind of quite a nice segue into the next paper so uh, this is a more recent piece of research uh, lesbian gay bisexual transgender queer and questioning youth's perspectives of inclusive school-based sexuality education can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah so this is from 2014 so it's a bit more up to date it's American, so mm-hmm. it's slightly different context to over here. But I really enjoyed that this research was all about the experiences of LGBTQ young people. Mm-hmm. Um, so they carried out five focus groups with queer young people in Oregon and used those focus groups to draw together four topics that the young people felt were important to be included in their SRE. So. The first is quite broad, it's about LGBTQ plus inclusion and specific knowledge. So making sure that if you're teaching about protection, for example, that you include all kinds of sexual relationships. Mm -hmm. So the information is relevant to all young people that might be in the room. The second one was about access to relevant resources. So again, it's making sure that if you're bringing in resources, you have a selection that include all of your young people. The third and fourth were more topics to include, so young people wanted information on health, both physical and about healthy relationships, and they also wanted information on bodies and anatomy. And for those two topics, for young people felt it was really important to make sure that the content was relevant for all students. So it would be information designed for LGBTQ plus students and heterosexual young people. So we've talked before about how um, SRE can sometimes be delivered with an assumption of heterosexual relationships. Can you just tell the listeners a bit more about the concept of heteronormativity and how that creates an unsafe school environment for queer young people? Yeah, so this was something that came up in these focus groups. So often SRE is delivered with the assumption that everyone in the room is of a binary gender identity or is in straight relationships and that just isn't the case and so it it can create an unsafe environment in two ways so young people don't always access information that they need to keep themselves safe so if you're not learning about how to kind of what red flags might look like in different types of relationships or how to keep yourself physically safe when having sex in different ways than the kind of traditional penis and vagina straight relationships um, then you can't keep yourself safe or you have to look for information elsewhere and that information might not be reliable Mm -hmm. whereas we would hope that the information given to young people in schools is going to be reliable useful and relevant Mm. the other way that it creates unsafe environments is that the assumption of heterosexuality positions anyone that isn't straight or cisgender as being other as I mentioned previously we know that young people who are queer face 
kind of higher instances of bullying in school. And so I think positioning those young people as being different is going to contribute to that bullying. It's not going to create a more inclusive school environment. Mm. And what do you think the effect is on the young people themselves? So we talked about how it can encourage bullying, but what about on the, the for example, the mental health of those young people themselves? It's for them to not be, for them to be erased from SRE education. Yeah, it's it's not going to be good for anyone if they don't see themselves and their experiences represented in the information that they're getting. Then yeah, as as you say, it's bad for mental health, but also just bad for understanding who you are and kind of your positioning and that you're part of a community as well because if you don't see yourself represented then how do you know that there are other people like you how do you find role models it's generally not ideal (laughs) yeah so it talks about the need for information about all kinds of relationships this is also something that you discussed in your dissertation I think the main question was around making informed decisions wasn't it can you tell us a bit about what you what your research was on? Yeah, so I wanted to look at what do young people actually need to learn to be able to make informed decisions around sex and relationships. And within that, so my theoretical framework for the piece of work was queer theory, Mm. which I can explain a little bit later. (laughs) But I very much wanted to come at this piece of work from the understanding that when we're thinking about what information young people need we mean all young people and so that involves queer young people and also it involves people who may have different relationships throughout their lives so to get a wide variety of information can only really be a good thing. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you mentioned that you've done this through, a, the, through the lens of queer theory, can you just explain to the listeners what that means? Yeah so queer theory is super interesting but it can be tricky to explain (laughs) because there's no real consensus between queer theorists and queer activists and queer theory kind of encompasses both. So queer theory is a tool to critique and question heteronormative assumptions around sex, gender and identities. So queer theory would understand these not as binary systems, so this or that, so gay or straight, but as spectrums, and people can move along these spectrums through the course of their lives. It's based on a post-structuralist understanding of gay and lesbian studies, and it's been inspired by a range of writers. So Foucault, Sandra Bem, who was a really interesting gender psychologist, Kimberly Crenshaw and her civil rights work on intersectionality, those have all kind of fed into queer theory. Cool, so can you explain a bit about how this relates to sex and relationships education? So I decided to use queer theory, partly because I find it really interesting and useful to think of sexuality and gender as spectrums. I think it makes topics which can seem perhaps quite uncomfortable for some people, I think it makes it quite straightforward. And I also really wanted to make sure that when I was looking at sex and relationships education, that I wasn't continuing the assumed heteronormativity that is often found in the topic. So I found a really interesting piece of writing at the very beginning of this project and Simon Watney wrote that sex education comes from a different starting point to the subjects that we teach kids. So in most subjects we look at what information young people will need, what information young people want and we shape it around that. 
but sex and relationships education is more commonly designed from a perspective of what do we as adults want or need children to learn about sex and relationships. So for example, teaching of abstinence as a form of contraception is probably more likely to be based around adult fears of sexually active young people rather than it being actually useful or relevant for young people. Mm-hmm. And so in the same way, I wanted to think about how sex and relationships education could be useful and relevant to all young people rather than those that are in the majority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this sounds a bit like Altus, uh, talking about ideological state apparatus of the school being used to impose values on the younger generation to reproduce those values continually. So I guess we're talking about values of, well, I mean, you use the examples of the example of abstinence education, which seems like a pretty classic way to to, uh, to enforce misogynistic values yeah. on, the, uh, on the next generation, ways of, of controlling what women do with their bodies. Yeah. So is this a kind of general thing that you explored with the rest of it from the perspective of how how attitudes towards queer people are reproduced? A little bit. So I, I kind of went a slightly different way with the research that I did. where I So I planned to do a focus group with queer young people, mm-hmm. but unfortunately that fell through last minute. So that is top of my mental list of next time I do any piece of research about SRE, I absolutely am prioritising young people's voice. But the survey that I carried out, so that was my main piece of research that I did, and it was a survey aimed at adults to find out what kind of knowledge they hold around sex and relationships education, what knowledge they think young people should need, and just a general kind of gauging of people's attitudes and views to sex and relationships. Mm. And who, who did you uh, conduct that survey on? Was that teachers or...? No, so it was open to anyone over the age of 18. Okay. But I deliberately targeted the uh, respondents to be LGBTQ people mm-hmm. um, because I think, I think we often, as kind of mirrored in the first one, if you use the wider population then perhaps people might not see it as relevant to themselves to learn about non-straight relationships. Whereas I really wanted to pull out for queer people what are the important things that were missing from your education and that you think would be important for young people now. Mm -hmm. And what did you find from the survey? Yeah, so I identified three key areas that my survey respondents thought that should be covered within SRE and these were reflected by the literature I used as well. So... Generally, the kind of overall consensus seems to be that there, there could be three main areas for SRE. So the first one is physical health. That would cover how bodies develop, reproduction, and protection from STIs and unplanned pregnancies. The second area is more about relationships. So it's looking at characteristics of healthy relationships, consent, and warning signs of abuse. The third category didn't come up in the literature as an actual kind of topic of SRE but in the survey a large proportion of respondents said that SRE should explicitly cover cultural attitudes towards and understandings of sex and relationships so it would look at things like gender roles it would look at virginity it would look at desire and it would look at how different relationships place sex the literature kind of spoke about all of those things as being really important in SRE but as underpinning assumptions and values, not as a specific area of learning. Mm -hmm. 
So you talk about cultural attitudes. Do you mean uh, educating queer young people around the barriers they might face or the uh, negative attitudes, or is it a more general understanding of how society views sex and relationships? So I think all three of these topics would need to explicitly cover LGBTQ plus experiences. As the DfE framework says, that shouldn't be an add-on or a specific lesson. It should be woven into everything. Mm. So it seems like that's an area that could be difficult for some schools to tackle, you know, given that explicitly anti-racist teaching is still not particularly mainstream pedagogy. How do you see schools tackling this issue? So I think I see it as being potentially part of not necessarily the more kind of scientific or biology-based mm. aspects of SRE, but maybe falling more into the kind of PSHE understanding kind of the culture that we're in, understanding the communities we're in. Mm. And I think, I think it probably sounds a bit scarier than it actually would be, because mm. I think really it's just about having conversations with young people about where do these assumptions come from? Where do our kind of baseline understandings of what we expect, what we don't expect in relationships, where are they from? And how can we make sure that they include different experiences and that they're not kind of discriminatory towards any group? Mm -hmm. Cool. So another finding from your survey was that you found that women were the least likely of all the groups you interviewed to be comfortable to discuss their own pleasure and boundaries. Yeah, so I asked all my survey respondents um, to rate, using a scale, how comfortable they are discussing pleasure with sexual partners and then boundaries with sexual partners. Because the literature would suggest that being able to communicate about your sexual needs and desires and about your own personal boundaries is a really important part of positive and healthy relationships. So I wanted to see the extent to which SRE had left adults feeling confident in negotiating those conversations. I found that most men were quite comfortable um, to discuss them, so that's great. Um, Non-binary and intersex people, most were comfortable with discussing those. But women, it was a minority, but it was a sizeable minority that said they weren't comfortable to discuss pleasure, they weren't comfortable to discuss boundaries with sexual partners. And I think that's particularly worrying when no men had said that they weren't comfortable. Obviously, I'm pleased that men feel comfortable to have those conversations. That's important. But I think it does raise some questions about why it's women who were left feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, so I guess this is a reflection of what we found in the first paper where boys were much less likely than girls to say they wanted information about, for example, how not to have sex when you don't want to. Yeah. So I read a really interesting article which isn't one of the three from today but it was about the language used in SRE Mm. and how that positioned young people and so it looked at how young people quite often SRE is quite gendered and it's seen a lot about protecting girls from pregnancy from STIs from sexual violence but it's very much that girls need to be protected Mm. whereas the positioning of boys in SRE is more, yes it does look about how they can be protected, but it doesn't really see them as kind of passive victims. Yeah, so I was going to ask this, in terms of like barriers to making these changes, one thing that occurred to me is partly teachers own internalised 
patriarchal attitudes. That's not to call teachers like misogynists, but you know, society just yeah, reinforce those we live attitudes. In a patriarchal society. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all going to carry some baggage. Uh, yeah. So, what do you think the implications for implementing this are of that? So I think there's kind of the short term and the long term. So I think short term, I think training would probably be more helpful for teachers. I think obviously we'd need to talk to teachers and see what that training would include, what would be helpful. But I think also it can be a subject that can be quite tricky to teach. So I imagine that for some people it's probably quite embarrassing to stand in front of a room full of teenagers and talk about sex. So I think generally more training would probably be useful in general. And the kind of long-term implications, I'm an optimist and would massively hope that if we're teaching young people kind of from an understanding that identities are valid and that these are kind of things you should watch out for in relationships, this is how we as a society have kind of understood sex and relationships and here's how you can make sure that the ones you're in are healthy, then I'm really hoping in like... 20 years time we see some kind of shift in society's understandings Hmm. well you would hope so (laughs) keep my fingers crossed (laughs) yeah absolutely so i'm an ex-teacher and i like to think about how these things be implemented at the at the level of the school right yeah so what barriers do you think there might be to this that need to be overcome now so i'm I'm also confident that in 20 years time with progressive sre we won't need to be having these conversations (laughs) but right now there's quite a hill to climb yeah So, as one of the few members of our team that wasn't a teacher, I feel quite uncomfortable talking about what teachers want to need. Fair enough. Um, (laughs) So, I'm an ex-youth worker, and I have seen good practice in SRE delivered informally in youth centres and other settings uh, throughout my time with young people. And I think the things that have made those conversations useful for young people are a combination of the people having those conversations actually holding a good level of knowledge and a good level of understanding not only about sex and relationships but about the young people that they're talking to Mm -hmm. so that they can deliver it in a way that is relevant for those young people and I think the other thing is just relationships if kind of links but if you know your young person you know the people you're talking to and you've built up a level of mutual respect then I think delivering potentially uncomfortable or awkward topics is made easier. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, that was really interesting. Thank you for introducing us to those two papers and for giving us a rundown of your own research. And we hope to have you back on the podcast soon. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to hear more, please leave us a review and subscribe via iTunes or RSS. If you know someone who'd be interested in this episode, don't be afraid to share it. And feel free to contact us via the links in the show notes. See you next time.